0: Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Industry Focus. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com. And get $50 off your first job post. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Tuesday, July the 23rd, and we're talking consumer goods. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined via Skype by Foolish Contributor, really full of all things, Dan Klein. (laughs) Dan, so glad to be back in the studio with you, especially for
1: today's topic. Uh, very happy to be virtually here wish I was there but uh, happy to be here nonetheless
0: here in spirit and I can hear your voice and that's all that really matters Dan
1: <laughs> works for me
0: all right so today's show um, i I know you and I have been talking about the cruise line industry for a long time now and we've been talking about doing a show Dan you're an avid cruiser i'm a, I guess you can call my i'm a I'm a <laughs> Cruise convert, thanks to the Disney Cruise line. Um, But we've been talking so much about it. um, We really wanted to come talk about the big cruise operators, talk about what's going on in the industry, how they make money. And so finally, we are here, Dan. um, And you just came back from a cruise. I could probably say that to you just about any week, and it would
1: be true. (laughs) So so I had never done a cruise until about uh, a year ago, December. I sort of begrudgingly went on a family cruise. And it was fun. It was on kind of a, a lower end ship, it, but I sort of liked the experience. So my son and I did it again. And then I tried a different cruise line and realized, ooh, there's like sort of some more. And when I say adult, I don't mean adult in the the R-rated sense. I mean like more more music, more grown-up related things. Um, and now I've sort of found that not only is it something I enjoy to do doing. But when you live in South Florida and you gamble, it's also something you can do at a at a lower cost than people who don't live here. So, it's sort of like my relationship with the theme parks. Maybe I wouldn't spend all the money to do them, but because I live here and it's accessible and inexpensive, I've, I think it's like six or seven cruises in the last six months.
0: That is amazing. One day I can get to your level, Dan. But <laughs> <laughs> while we wait, just to give our listeners some perspective, I have came across a few stats um, really to just frame the scope and the size of the global cruise industry so the cruise industry is indeed the fastest growing category in the leisure travel market estimated at about 45.6 billion. In 2018. That's huge. And also in 2018, the cruise line industry welcomed over 26 million travelers. Um, that's just mind boggling to me, Dan. And that is up 3% from 2017. Um, and this year, that number is actually expected to hit 30 million. The industry itself is just pouring goo gobs of money into these ships, building out new fleets, building out new terminals. Estimated about $65 billion will be invested. Into building all of that out between now and 2029. You know, on the one hand, Dan, I look at stats like this and I think, okay, this is an industry fastest growing within the travel segment itself. But yet there's still some questions and challenges and even some opportunities that the major cruise operators still need to figure
1: out. What what are those key questions? So there's major questions. And when we talk the cruise industry, Just for shorthand, we're largely talking about Carnival, and the the associated brands it owns, and Royal Caribbean. Those are the two big players globally. Uh, There's many others, they own a lot of sub-brands, but that's sort of the shorthand for, for the biggest part of the industry. And what's scary about it is capacity. So, if you look at a market like Las Vegas, during a big trade show, say the Consumer Electronics Show, hotel rooms go for $400 a night, it's hard to book, you have to plan six months in advance. But a lot of the year, there's an awful lot of capacity. But there are fixed events. You have to go during those times. The cruise industry sort of works the same way. There are fixed events like school vacations, where prices go up. Uh, but in general, it's, prices are set by demand and capacity. So, when you're adding five or six major ships to the two big cruise lines each year, uh, you run the risk of, what if you build too many? So, that's not a huge problem when you enter a new market. If they go to China, and you know, say, Royal Caribbean or, or Carnival has a joint venture in China, and it doesn't work, well, they can mothball that very expensive ship or move it someplace else. But, if you're adding capacity out of Miami, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Galveston, Texas, some of the major cruise markets, and all of a sudden, there isn't enough demand, then you're going to lower prices across the entire industry. So It's a very tricky pricing game. What happens with the cruise ship is they're trying to fill it to capacity. Capacity doesn't mean every room is filled. It doesn't mean every berth is taken. It means that, based on the amount of rooms they have, there's two people in each one. So, you might have an inside room that has a family of four that's full, and then you might have a balcony that never sells, that's empty, but that ship could still be at capacity. When you start seeing openings, that's where things get a little tricky, and that's why I've been cruising so much. Because they canceled Cuba, the U.S. government made it illegal to, to stop in Cuba, a lot of people got the right to cancel their cruise or get half price or book another one. So, what the cruise line does, when the first thing when they have capacity that they know they're not going to be able to fill quickly, is they go to loyal customers, they go to gamblers, they go to people who live within the market, and they say, Hey, would you like to go at a reduced price? And when not enough people take them up on that, they say, Would you like to go free? And so far, that has not only kept all the ships sort of at capacity, it's also kept revenues growing. Because, yes, if I get a free cruise, I am not paying for the ticket, which is half to 75% of overall revenue. But what I am paying for is, maybe I eat at a specialty restaurant, maybe I gamble and lose some money, maybe I buy a t-shirt or a watch, or who knows what, I've never bought a t-shirt or a watch. So, it's a very complicated picture that's kind of a house of cards in some way.
0: Yeah, and so capacity, demand, that is certainly something to watch over the long term. You mentioned Cuba, um, and I think for all the major cruise lines, they all had some exposure to Cuba, I think all in all because of the U.S. sanctions that were tightened um, in reference to Communist Cuba, about 800,000 bookings were affected um, as a result of that ban that came in June. For something like this, I feel like this is more of a short-term headwind, because a lot of these cruise operators have either been able to cancel or reroute the ships to other places. I think Norwegian probably had the the biggest exposure. About 3% of their annual capacity was set for Cuba. But I feel like something like Cuba, in reference to capacity and demand, that seems more short-term
1: in nature. So It is short-term, but if you figure that most people are planning on a cruise about a year out, it has kind of a ripple effect. So what happened was, once it became no longer legal to go to Cuba, all Royal Carnival and Norwegian had boats that they had specifically either purchased or retrofitted, and in some cases purchased back, to go to Cuba, which is a smaller port. So instead of the 5,000 passenger mega ships, think maybe like 1,800, 2,000 passenger smaller ships. So they send you an email that says, "Hey, we can't go to Cuba. And by the way, all of the places you might like to go, well, those are booked up and planned out. So we can't go to our private island. So now we're stopping in Key West and Nassau, because Nassau has an endless capacity for cruise ships, it seems. There's always six or seven docked. So passengers, in most cases, were either able to take a discount, usually half off, or book any other cruise they wanted with a credit for what they've paid. And a lot of those. In the short term, six months to nine months, they weren't able to rebook interesting itineraries. I don't mean to diss Nassau, but it's kind of the most pedestrian of cruise line stops. Even the the private islands only have so much capacity, uh, and Royal Caribbean just redid theirs. So while they could land two ships there, they generally haven't been doing that. So it did create some heartache in passengers, and and I was on a ship that was supposed to go to Cuba. And people were fairly you know, humdrum about it, because they were on a ship that maybe didn't have all the top amenities, and it wasn't going to the place that they wanted to go. But yes, a year from now, they're going to figure that out. Um, and it is the negative that you You're a millennial, or at least closer to a millennial than I am. Cuba was kind of a a travel, exotic travel destination, whereas a lot of the cruise stops in the Caribbean and Mexico are more just cruise ports. So it was kind of a hook to bring a new generation in, and I do wonder if that's going to have a long term effect of maybe. 2% 2% that would have tried cruising and liked it, maybe they won't. And that's going to create some marketing issues for the cruise lines.
0: And you brought up a good point because another key consideration is that millennial demographic. Uh, in 2019, millennials are actually expected to surpass baby boomers in terms of population uh, 73 million versus 72 million this year. Um, we talk about baby boomer population driving a lot on the industry focused healthcare show, um, but really from a Cruise line industry, the question is how can they attract and continue to build that loyalty among millennials? Cruising historically has been thought of as something for an older population or, you know, with family with kids. It's really about how do they attract millennials? So, what do you see and how are they addressing this particular issue?
1: So it's a challenge. On uh, on one hand, Royal and Carnival are very much party lines. You know, that th- you see your families, you see your older people, but it's a it's a festive atmosphere, there's a lot of drinking going on. You don't see a ton of millennials, and, and again, I'm speaking anecdotally from having been on a bunch of cruises across both of those lines. You don't see a lot of millennials that aren't there with their kids. And I could see the price of it having some appeal. You can you can have a, a Fairly all-inclusive vacation at a relatively low price compared to, say, you know, a a city trip or a theme park trip. But in many cases, you're not getting sort of that adventure destination. Like if you land in Cozumel, maybe you're taking an excursion to a beach or walking around some shops. You're not really getting an experience of being in Mexico. Like my son and I are stopping uh, in November at the the Royal Caribbean private island in Haiti. And yes, technically, it's Haiti, and you could say you've been to Haiti, but all you've seen is a walled-off part of Haiti, and I think to attract the millennials, and I've talked a lot about this with, uh, with Dylan Lewis, uh, uh, outside of industry focus. Is that you're gonna to need to have destinations where they go interesting places and maybe stay overnight. So you can you can go hiking, you can experience the culture, you can do a little more than sort of browse duty free shops and, and go to a water park. So it's gonna to need to be some fundamental changes, and you are starting to see some of the amenities on the ships. Be a little more appealing to people with younger kids or millennials. Like there, you know, th- there's laser tag on ships now. There's aqua theaters where people are are doing elaborate productions. You can ice skate. There's robot bars. Like all all sorts of stuff that maybe tries to break the stuffiness. I'll say Royal and Carnival have both very much relaxed the dress code. Uh, the old days of having to dress up. Like pretty much you could wear what I'm wearing now any night on a Royal or a Carnival ship. And you might see someone next to you wearing black tie, but you might also see someone wearing flip-flops and a tank top. So, there are subtle changes, but I do worry about whether the overall concept appeals to younger travelers, at least until they have kids.
0: I totally agree. For millennials, they're looking for more authentic experiences. Millennial generation tends to be much more price sensitive as well. And ultimately, they want unique and relevant um, onboard activities as well. So, I think this is a tougher demographic to to target, but um, I do like to see where Royal Caribbean is going with that. Let's also talk about the final key consideration, and that is, of course, as always, related to fuel prices. How is that impacting the, the cruise line now and especially heading into
1: next year too? So in a broad sense for the first six months of the year, Carnival and Royal had both had stupendous quarters. Numbers are up, but profitability hasn't necessarily held up, and that's due to fuel prices. So the industry is very sensitive. And there's not that much you could do. I mean, they're they're modernizing. They're you know they're adding you know technology that improves uh, fuel efficiency. But it's not like you can have an electric cruise ship. There is just a simple, or maybe you can someday, but you can't right now. So the industry is very sensitive to that, and they do hedge fuel prices uh, six months a year out. I'm not sure the exact number, but if we saw you know fuel spike 25, 30 percent it's unlikely they're going to be able to raise prices comparably, because the cruise industry is fighting against resort vacations, Vegas vacations, beach vacations, all the other options, where, yes, an airline ticket might go up. But in most cases, if you're taking a cruise, you're doubly exposed to fuel prices. Not in my case, because I can drive to the cruise terminal. But if you have to take a plane, which your air ticket goes up because prices have gone up for fuel, and then get in the cruise, so the cruise line has much less pricing power than the airline does.
0: And Also, beginning in January of 2020, the International Maritime Organization, or the IMO, uh, they're actually set to enforce new emission standards designed specifically to curb pollution produced by so many of these massive cruise liners. Basically, this will force these cruise operators and even ocean freight companies to switch from this high-sulfur, sludge-like fuel Pretty much what's at the bottom of the barrel um, to more refined, lower sulfur diesel fuel. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see heading into 2020, um, just in terms of the pricing issues. Will they start to? Will they have to start raising prices? And if so, will that price a lot of these consumers, especially millennials who are more price sensitive, out of the market? We'll have to wait and see on that one. But that's something else I think to keep in mind there as well.
1: So I think you can somewhat have your cake and eat it too, because there are certain times of year, um, any of the school vacations, any of the the holidays where kids are off, where. Yes, you're competing with other kinds of vacations, but everything is expensive. So, I think you can inch prices up during in-demand times, and actually lower prices during some of the lesser demand times, like September, because of hurricane season, and because school is in session, is not as heavily in demand. So, I'm getting amazing offers, everything from free for short trips to very low cost for longer trips. And in that case, they're not really hurting themselves by offering a little bit of a deal overall as long as they can sort of make that up during the busy times so it's a it's a very tough market to price as a consumer and as an investor you, know, you really have to keep an eye on what the promotions are. It's also very tricky. You know, There's a lot of buy one, get one kind of deals where you have to really do math. It's one of the few areas of travel where I tell people, maybe you want to go through a travel agent, um, because it is hard to navigate. And that's intentional deception. Uh, deception is such a lousy word. But intentional confusion of the market in order to get the most out of every person.
0: Fair enough there, Dan. All right. On the other side of the break, we're going to see how the biggest two cruise operators are faring. But first, a quick word from our friends at LinkedIn. As a hiring manager, I can tell you hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time, and that's where LinkedIn comes in. As someone who's explored and used the LinkedIn jobs platform, I can say the most useful feature is their targeted job promotion, which is basically the ability to drive a job via email and across LinkedIn to candidates with the best skill set for the job. This makes the hiring process so much easier, so much more efficient. and Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability, all of those softer skills, LinkedIn is doing the legwork to help match you to the most qualified candidates, so you can just focus on hiring the person who will truly transform your business. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. In fact, LinkedIn members add 15 new skills to their profiles and apply to 35 job posts every 2 seconds to get $50 off your first job post. Go to linkedin.com/full. Again, that's linkedin.com/full to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Dan, let's turn our attention to the biggest cruise operators. The biggest of which we'll start with first, that's none other than Carnival, and that's ticker symbol CCL. Dan, from a high-level perspective, how's Carnival doing?
1: So, as we talked about a little bit before, they're doing very well, but they're sort of using a cautious optimism. So, Booking numbers are up, revenue numbers are up, everything is sort of going along swimmingly, with the minor exception of, of having to revise down a little bit for fuel prices and the loss of Cuba. Uh, but when when they talk, the, the company does not want to sort of say like everything is great because it's very fragile. If you look at you know the fact that they're committed to, I want to say 19 new ships. Let me look down and make sure that's true. Yeah, 19 new ships by 2025. That's a lot of added capacity. It's a lot of new markets. So it doesn't take that much for that to sort of fall apart. And they did slightly bring down their full year revenue. Uh, but it's still very robust and bookings are are tracking ahead of the previous year. So it's smooth sailing ahead, but you never know when a storm is going to come up.
0: truly never know when a storm is going to come up. I know they've also had to deal with some headwinds in the European front. You've got Brexit concerns in Italy. Um, it sounds like all in all, though, that the basically carnival, Knows that there's going to be some short term headwinds, but that's not stopping them from really investing into their fleet and continuing to build out just the massive amount of ships that they have under their banner.
1: Yeah, so in addition to building 19 new ships, they've also done some major renovations. The ship I'm actually going to be on in December, they've done so much to it, a multi hundred million dollar renovation, that they're changing its name. And why is this important? Because Carnival makes about 75% of its revenue from you buying a ticket. The other 25% comes from onboard revenue. Royal Caribbean, it's closer to 50-50. So, if you're Carnival, and you can redo your ship to add more, Four-fee restaurants, more experiences that cost money, more shopping opportunities, uh, another place to play bingo that, that they charge you $20 and, and you know, keep about half the revenue compared to the prizes, the more they can add that's going to entice you to spend money, uh, and they're also adding free venues as well and, and experiences uh, that don't cost money. But the more they can get you to spend, they can keep the same amount of passengers and up their profit. You know, I, I don't know what the profit is when you buy a $7 Starbucks drink on a, on a Royal Caribbean ship, but I'm going to guess it's very, very high uh, compared to just drinking the free coffee that's included. So, all of this investment is about generally having the, the the bigger ships that wow people, that generally sell for the highest prices, uh, because people want to try all the new stuff. And targeting certain markets, uh, some of the European ports cannot take a 6,000-person mega ship, so you need a 2,200-person 2, capacity ship that still has a lot of the bells and whistles and ways to make revenue. And that's sort of how Carnival and, to to a similar extent, uh, Royal Caribbean are engineering their fleets. It's a huge investment, and it's it's kind of that Amazon model where it pushes off some of their profits because they continually have to invest. Because if Carnival adds, you know. Uh, This experience, then Royal has to add that one. You're seeing it with like the Broadway style shows instead of the old school, like musical production numbers, the standalone comedy venues. It's very much an arms race where people say, Well, what am I going to get for free? And you mentioned Disney earlier. Well, you pay double to triple the price, but you're getting Disney entertainment and everything is sort of included. So, you know, there is a lot of financial pressure to be bigger and better.
0: So true. And speaking of Royal Caribbean, and that's ticker symbol RCL, Dan, I feel like I can't go a day without seeing a Royal Caribbean commercial (laughs) on the television um, touting their brand new island, touting their ships and the latest and greatest feature on their ships. This is a company, even though it's smaller than Carnival, um, honestly, it has been impressing me more and more. The more I dig into this company, it seems like they are firing on all cylinders.
1: So, I think they've done a very smart job in targeting families. So, you mentioned the private island. Pretty much every cruise line owns one or more private islands. And what that generally means is, it's a strip of sand, maybe there's a volleyball court, a playground, couple of bars. Usually, the bars cost extra. Uh, they'll throw a barbecue, that'll be included. And it's kind of a nice beach day. What Royal Caribbean did uh, in their Caribbean island, and they're going to be doing this to their other islands is they put in a water park, so that's an added fee. They built out five or six beaches, one of which has a lovely swim-up bar that I highly recommend. They put in the biggest pool in the Caribbean, and they added all sorts of included uh, bars and restaurants. So instead of just being a place you could sort of chill on the beach for a few days, there's really family activities. The water park, which is you know maybe forty dollars a ticket, is good for my teenage son, who was pretty thrilled that they had free funnel cakes and you know sort of other uh, you know theme park style food. Whereas I was more than happy to chill out by the bar, and the bar is included if you get a drink package, which wasn't previously the case on on private islands traditionally. So they've really made a move to make it a real value to families instead of a day where it's like, okay, I can get the kids to the beach for 90 minutes, but they're not going to be that interested. You can really get off. And you're starting to see that on the ship. The teen areas are being amplified. They're making it more fun for the whole family, because the last thing they want you to do is be in your cabin, because the cabins are very, very small. Think about 180 square feet uh, would be considered a large inside cabin. So, if you're a family of four, that's very tight. But if they can entice the teenagers to be in the teen club, and the seven-year-old is in the seven-year-old area, and mom and dad are in the the adults only pool. You know they've really ramped that up, and Royal I think has done a very good job in sort of carving out that fun for the whole family environment. And while while it is a drinking heavy atmosphere, keeping things PG thirteen.
0: And as a result, all the focus on really the onboard entertainment and even with the private island bookings um, have. Hit record levels consistently. Occupancy level ticked up for the third straight year, rising to one hundred and nine percent from one hundred and eight percent, and this has been the case. Dan, can you explain how exactly occupancy rates can be over a hundred percent on cruise lines?
1: Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's. A, sh- a ship is considered at full occupancy if all the regular rooms. Let's let's not consider su- suites because the economics change. But every every regular room has two people in it. That means if I'm going alone, but you have uh, two people with you together, that's four people across two rooms. Those two Rooms are both considered full. So a ship might have a capacity, uh, a maximum occupancy of 4,500, but can actually sail with 5,200 people on it. Well, why would you want more people? Well, more people spend more money, they gamble more, they do, but you can still, if you leave at 100%, and pretty much every cruise ship, aside from some of the ones that were meant for Cuba, is leaving at 100%, you can be at full occupancy. And one of the things both cruise lines do incredibly well is once they have you they market to you extensively. So on the cruise there is very heavy incentives to book your next cruise and you're having fun, maybe you've had a couple of drinks, it's really easy to sit down and put a deposit so sort of the vacation never ends. When you land, you start getting hit, I would say two or three times a day in some cases if you're on a casino list and a regular list with New offers. Here's $100 off. You get something in the mail. Here's $300 off. So once they have you, they try very hard to keep you. And in theory, that's building sort of an audience. Uh, And maybe that will create that next generation of cruisers. You know, if if I take my kid on a cruise and he likes it, maybe when he's 25, him and his buddies will go on a cruise. Though I I have yet to see that. I don't (laughs) see a lot of people under 30 not traveling with their parents, with the exception of you do see some bachelorette parties.
0: So true, so true. And uh, you know, thankfully for the Disney Cruise Line, that's the only one I've been on so far, um, although I think you are pushing me highly into the direction <laughs> of Royal Caribbean, so I think that's on my list. But, Dan, if you had to choose between Royal Caribbean and Carnival, to close us out, what, what would be your top, both as an investor and as a traveler?
1: So, as an investor, I like what Royal has done from a marketing point of view a little bit better. I think they've staked out a very unique uh, place as sort of fun for the whole family, whereas Carnival has just sort of a vague branding. And as a casino patron, Royal paints it as very glitzy, even though they're not. They're $10-a-hand blackjack tables. And Carnival's casino mailing is like a caricature of an old lady. She sort of looks like the shoebox greetings old lady. and I don't know who that's appealing to, because if I was that age, I wouldn't want to be depicted as sort of a caricature. But also, that's not very appealing to me as a 45-year-old. In terms of the actual cruise experience, I enjoy them both. Carnival has I would say slightly better entertainment in terms of the nightly major shows. They also have standalone comedy clubs, which I find very enjoyable. Royal, on the other hand, has wonderful sort of smaller musicians. Um, for example, like in their their British pub concept, there's usually a guitarist just doing sort of quiet covers. And uh, Sam, my guitarist friend, on uh, on the Navigator, the last ship I was on, a couple of times, you know, just attracted a following, and it was sort of different than being in the big venue. They often have like a funny pianist, whereas Carnival is sort of more on the bigger experiences. Um, but they're very comparable, and I would say it's it's the private island for Royal that tips it. Uh, the food is maybe a tad better on on Royal in the dining room. Again, both are pretty good values, and you do want to think about destination. You know, if it's important to you to, uh, you know, to go to European sightseeing, well, that's very different than going on like you know Caribbean or, or Mexican. Uh, island stops, which are much more just like beach days or, as I said before, a collection of duty-free shops and chain restaurants. So, it's 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 not really close from an investment point. From an investment point, I like what Royal is doing better. From a travel point, it tips towards Royal, and I won't pretend that isn't influenced by the <laughs> fact that Royal has been throwing a lot of free stuff my way uh, because I gamble, because I live in Florida, so maybe that has biased me just the tiniest of bits.
0: Maybe just a little bit, Dan. But, uh, <laughs> all we Good to have you on the show, Dan. Uh, not only do you give investing tips, you also gave some great travel tips to all of our listeners out there. So, thank you. Always a pleasure to be chatting with you. And thank you to all of our listeners uh, for tuning in. And that'll do it for this week's industry focused consumer goods show. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Dan Boyd for Dan Klein. I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on.